Brentwood Zai Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? All right, so some of you, I know from talking to you, you've um, had the experience of living in the city before, and you got to Romeo as quick as you could. Um, no, I, I have. I, I've lived in the city. I know some of you have lived in the city as well. You can always tell the tourist from the people who live there. And I don't mean just because they pull out a big map. I'll, I'll get to how you can tell in a moment. But back in the day, we did. We lived in a city. It was a, it was a big city, four million people. It's a lot of people. And um, part of my job involved having Christians come to the city and work with us, doing some gospel work. And, and what we would do is in the morning, I would prep the teams. I'd tell them what they're going to do. And in the evenings, we would debrief. Like I couldn't be with all these teams all over the place. So I would tell them, here's what you're going to do. And I would send them out. I would send them to safe areas. So I would tell them, like, you're not, you're not going to get beat up, right? No one's going to, there's no guns. There's, that's, not, that's not what's going to happen. They'll rob you, though, just so you know. They will pick your pocket. So I would have to explain to these people, like, Here, here's what you need to do to not get robbed. And I would talk them through, well, one day, we're doing the debrief session. This girl comes in, and she's looking sad. Like, I mean, she is so sad. So I asked her, like, what happened? She was like, they robbed my camera. Who robbed your camera? I mean, because she had one of those around-the-neck, big, fancy ones. And I said, wait, wait, just... Tell me the story. I want because I like story. Tell me the story. And she says, So I get off the metro and I get as soon as I get above ground, of course, it, you know, it's pretty awe-inspiring. If you've ever been to Chicago or New York or Washington, DC, or London or Paris, we were in Lisbon. You know the feeling, right? You get off the subway, you get off the train, you get off the metro, and you you do this. That's how they know you're a tourist, just so you know. If you're walking around doing this, they know that you're not from there, right? Because people who are from there, they've seen it. And so they're on a mission, right? They're just on the go. They're trying to get to where they're going. Everyone else, they're walking around like this. And they're like, those are the tourists. And so she's like, I'm looking around. I'm checking everything out. And then I start taking pictures of everything. And then our team, we get hungry. And so we stop at the cafe. And we order our cafe. And we order some food. And then uh, we, we stop. To, I put the camera underneath my seat because I knew it would be safe there. I put it under my seat. And then we all did this. And I went, whoa, you closed your eyes? And she's like, yeah. I said, I told you, Jesus hears you with your eyes open. When you're in the city, always pray with your, and some of you, you're open-eyed prayers. We know because we peek, you know, like we, we just want to see, are you closing your eyes or not? And um, I don't really, normally, I, I sometimes, I, anyway, that's not even important. Not even important. Uh, no, but the thing is, right, we all know that feeling, I think. We all know that feeling of you show up somewhere and you start to do, the, like you're just in awe of what's around you. And that doesn't compare to God's handiwork, does it? I, I got to tell you, I love this time of year because this is when the sky starts to change and I can drive in here to the church and I have like a 45 to hour drive and and the sky just lights up in pink. It's awesome. Like, I, I love it, right? Or in Oklahoma, I really do miss the tornadoes. As weird as that sounds, 
I know that sounds ridiculous, but the sky is incredible. Like it just, like it's churning its butt. Like you walk outside and just it takes your breath away. Or about four or five years ago, we had an eclipse. Do you remember? Everyone went out from work. They went outside. Everyone's staring up at the sky, checking out the eclipse. I know it'll burn your eyes. You'll never see again. But we all did it, right? Every single one of us or a meteor shower or anyone ever seen the Northern Lights? Okay, that's what's cool about Michigan. If I said this like down south, no one's raising their hand. And like we have lots of hands that just went up. I've never seen it, but I would love to. I think that would be incredible. And I can guarantee there's no way that I'm looking here at the Aurora Borealis and then like, oh, wait, let me like text message someone. You know, right? That's not going to happen. It just leaves us in this place of awe. Let's take our Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 35 is where we're going to be today. This is week three of our sermon series called What Now? And we're going to see Jesus use some language today. Language that is language meant to make us look up. That's what the language is that Jesus is going to use. So this is part of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. Olivet, meaning he's at the Mount of Olives. That's how you can remember. He's at the Mount of Olives. He has just been in Jerusalem. He's just been at the temple. And it was in, Mount of Olives is right outside of Jerusalem. So it was in the temple. It was in Jerusalem that Jesus pronounces judgment onto the scribes and Pharisees. And if you're going, why would he do that? Why judgment on the scribes and Pharisees? Because they had an empty faith, an empty religion, and they were hypocrites. And so Jesus pronounces this judgment on them. Now, before we dive into the text today, keep your finger right there if you want. I want you to go back to verse 1 of chapter 24. Go back to verse 1 because I just want you to see the scene. Jesus, in case you missed it when, when Abe was here, Jesus has been in Jerusalem. Jesus has been at the temple. And here's what it says. Jesus left the temple. This is verse 1 of chapter 24. Jesus left the temple. And was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to the buildings. Because this is the temple. This is the biggest, most impressive thing that most of these individuals have ever seen in their lives. And it says, Jesus left the temple, was walking, his disciples called his attention to the buildings. Verse 2, do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Church, I want you to notice this is important for today. There's not one thing that's asked. There's multiple things asked, right? They want to know, because they're probably looking going, I don't, I don't really know how you're going to tear down that temple. I mean, that's a big old temple, Jesus. Like to tear that down, that's going to take some work. So they're wanting to know when, like when's that going to happen? And they want to know, Jesus, tell us about your return. What are going to be the signs of your return? We want to know about that. When you return in glory, what are going to be signs that that's going to happen? And so Jesus immediately starts to, after verse 3, launch into that conversation. So in verse 4, he says, don't be surprised. You're going you're to experience wars. You're going to hear rumors of wars. There's going to be famine and disease. There's gonna, all the, and there's going to be people who are going to say, hey, over there's the Messiah. Right over there. There's the rescuer. Hey, that person, surely that person's going to save us. Jesus is like, this is going to happen again. Don't get distracted with all that. 
Then in verse 15, he starts to move and says, there will come a time, though, in Jerusalem. You're not going to have time to turn back and grab your cloak. You're not going to have that much time. You're going to have to run for the mountains because the persecution is going to be there. This destruction is going to be there. It's going to be nasty. It's going to be alarming. It's going to be, it's going to be brutal for anyone in Jerusalem. And that's where then he starts to talk about what we're going to talk about today. But before I get into today's text, I want to pause and say something. This is important for you to hear. When you get into chapters 24 and 25 of the book of Matthew, there's a shift from what we've seen. Up to this point in the book of Matthew, it's been very narrative. It's a story. You're hearing the story of Jesus. And so you're moving pretty quickly through a three-year time period, well, 33-year time period right there, but really focus heavily on the three years of Jesus's ministry. Then when you get to chapter 24 and 25, it's prophetic in nature, meaning it hasn't happened yet. So there's a couple of major views on these particular chapters, right? So as you study, some of you are very polarized in what you think in this area already. Like you came in, your decision's already made up. Some of you, you don't have any, you haven't really read the Bible a lot, so you're like, you're freaking me out just a little bit. Okay, so there's two main views. One is going to say this is a historical text, meaning everything we're getting ready to read about is only about the destruction of the temple. And then there's others who say, yeah, that's kind of a minor part. This is more eschatology-driven, meaning this is driven on the end times, on the return of Jesus. Jesus will return again one day, the destruction of the world. Like, that's really what this is about. And so regardless of what camp you fall into, this is important. Regardless of which camp you fall into, when you hear someone like me, and it can be me or any preacher, always take what we say And throughout the week, I want you to go back and study the Word of God. Does that make sense? Because I'm going to tell you the best as I've studied, the best that I can discern, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm never going to tell you something because I think it's what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you the truth. But you have a responsibility as my brothers and sisters, as Christians, you have a responsibility to study the Word of God all throughout the week. Do not rely on a pastor to give you everything that you need to know in a 30-minute sermon because it can't happen. You know, I mean, by the time a pastor is prepared, you know, there's probably 20, 30 hours worth of notes that you're hearing, and we're trying to stuff it into 30 minutes. So we just can't do it justice. Please, please, please make sure you continue to study. With that said, let's study together. Matthew 24, starting in verse 29. Matthew writes this. Jesus is talking and says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, listen what he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Let me say it again. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Look up! Look up and pay attention. This is going to be so awe-inspiring. And Because we read that sometimes, I think, when you just read through the Bible and you're skimming it fast. You're like, yeah, I mean, I use things like flip my life upside down. Or it's earth-shattering. Or, I mean, I use language like that. No, that's not what's going on. Jesus is talking to some young Jewish guys, his disciples. These are guys who would have had a very firm grasp on the Old Testament. And as I'm reading, I think they have to go to Isaiah chapter 13. Listen to the parallels in the sun, the moon, the stars. Listen to the parallels of the language. Isaiah says this. 
He says, for the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light, but the sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed. Do you hear the parallels there? The moon will not shed its light. Then a few verses later, verse 13, therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place and the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the days of his fierce anger. Here's what's going on in Isaiah because the language is so similar. In Isaiah, we're reading about the judgment that's coming against the Babylonian Empire. Some of you have a hard time studying the Old Testament for that reason. God's judgment. You love the idea of God being a God of love. So do I. Like, I love the God, and he is love. God is total and complete love. He loves us enough that he sent Jesus to die in our place on the cross. But don't miss this. He's also completely just. We're not. We forgive something one day. We won't forgive it the next day. God isn't like that. He is completely just. He's bringing judgment onto the Babylonians. Now, hundreds of years later, Jesus in Matthew 24 is using almost identical language. So then it kind of makes you say, okay, who's being judged now? Like, what judgment is Jesus talking about? And I would encourage you to go back to verse number one and say, where was he and who's he been interacting with? He just came from Jerusalem, where he was with the people of Israel. He just came from the temple. So that's the people and the place that was supposed to be the beacon of light and truth for the whole entire world. Friends, you can't skip this. Israel is judged. Israel is judged. And Jesus is using language to force us to look up to explain that to us, which we kind of understand, right? We, we are comfortable with the use of language even apocalyptic language. Some of you, you're athletes, and think about how you act when you step onto the field or onto a court or onto, right? Your language, you change everything about your posture and your language change. Around my house, it's not the court. It's a board game, right? So if we break out risk, oh my goodness. If you break out risk, the language gets strong around my house. Do they say things like, I'm going to annihilate you. You want to wipe you off the map. And then, not everyone in my house likes this very much, but there's like, there's alignments and alliances that are made, right? Normally, sneakily, there's four of us. Normally, though, the alliances are sneaky, but you know, because you see one person look at another person, they kind of smile like, you're not going to attack me, are you, right? And that's what happens. Or um, if we play air hockey, oh, it's on like Donkey Kong if we play air hockey, but everybody in the house knows, like, no, I will win. Air hockey, cat-like reflexes. I'm going to win if we play air hockey, and I'm going to tell you about it the whole time. Like, I'm going to tell you how I'm you might as well quit now because you don't stand I'm going to annihilate, demolish, smash you. It's over, right? It is over. Or Amy has this game. I don't know if y'all know nerds or not. It's like double solitaire, kind of like you're competing with solitaire that kind of... Anyway, like, I might win at air hockey, Gabe might win at risk, Ian might win, but not. Amy is going to crush everyone at nerds, and she knows it. Like, she knows it, so she's got, like, her little eyebrows, like, mm, I'm going to beat you, and she does I mean, she's so fast at it, right? And so you probably got your thing like that with your apocalyptic language where you're using language to talk about how you're just going to blow everything up, destroy everything, annihilate everything. Pay close attention to Scripture. That's not what Jesus is doing here. 
Jesus has been warning again and again and again the scribes and Pharisees. He says every tree that does not produce fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. He told the disciples one day, he said, I've searched all of Israel and in all of Israel I haven't found anyone with the faith of this Gentile over here. He told in verse or in chapter 21, told the Pharisees uh, that God would take away from them what's been given and give it to a people producing fruits again and again and again. He said, I want you to change. I want you to turn or there's going to be judgment that's going to come on you. You have an opportunity, but you've got to change. That church is so important. When we read the Bible, if no one's told you this, you need to hear this. When we read the Bible, when you read that the Lord's talking to Israel, that's not you and me. We are not Israel. We're not. The United States is not Israel. It's not a synonym for Israel. It's not the same thing as Israel. Israel is Israel. That's the Hebrew people, God's chosen people. That's different. When God's talking about the church, we are the church. Right? That's us, those who place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. So right now, Jesus is talking not to us, He's talking to Israel. And while that's true, I think there are things that we can learn. Israel, God's chosen people, they were in a place of prominence, and yet they were drawn into hypocrisy. They were drawn into this place of empty religion. They were drawn into a place of compromise. I think we should see that as a warning. You know what that looks like to us? It's when you say, I know, I'm supposed to love the Lord, and I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But honestly, my heart is, is kind of frustrated right now because I've been on the Facebook and it's horrible. And then I got on Twitter and it was worse, right? And so I'm real grumpy with people and I don't even know if I like my church very much and I don't know if I like my brothers and sisters very much. I don't know if I like my own family very And we start to get a heart that's kind of critical, don't we? And I know I'm kind of being light with it, but you know what I'm saying. You've seen it, you felt it. It's when you look and you say, I know I'm supposed to forgive I know I'm supposed to forgive, but I'm really still just having a hard time with it. This is hard. I, I haven't let it go yet. It's when you look and say, I know I'm supposed to have a life that's generous. I know I'm supposed to be generous with my time, my talent, my treasure. But I'm real busy trying to build my business and my family and my career and my this and my that. And I don't have time or money for any of that generosity stuff. It's when you say, I know. I know I'm supposed to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. I'm supposed to submit one to another, but you know what I end up doing instead? I end up being a little bit puffed up in my pride. I don't want to submit because it just seems like the world's just going to walk on me, and I don't like that very much. I'm just going to just keep this a little bit, you know. I'm going to puff myself up. And just like that, we fall into the same hypocrisy. We become the hypocrites that we read in Israel that it's so easy for us to look and say, what are they doing? And we do the same thing. Church, this is not talking to us. It is not what we are facing, and yet we should and must learn from it. And then in verse 30, we get to some verses some of y'all are really going to like. Let's look at it. It says, then. So they asked Jesus two different questions, didn't they? Look what it says. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Do you see that picture? Oh, my goodness, the return of Jesus on this great cloud of heaven with great power 
and glory. So he's using this language. He's using this language that is forcing us again to continue to look up. Now, church, I wish we had a whole sermon series for just these verses. I really do. Because if we did, we would go back to the book of Daniel, and we're going to look at the 70 weeks, the seven years, and then we're going to look at the book of Revelation, and then we're going to look at Matthew, and we're going to see how they're all three tying together. We would have a lot more time to dive into it. I've got not very much time left, and so I'm going to move quickly. I do want to go to Daniel real fast, so, so you know where to go to study later. Daniel 7. Daniel 7, go ahead and flip there if you want to, or just scribble it down in your notes. Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. This is 200 years before the birth of Jesus. Don't forget that. 200 years before the birth of Jesus, Daniel has this vision at night, and he says this. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Do you hear the parallels again? With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in this vision, Daniel says, the Son of Man is coming on this cloud of glory, and he goes to the Ancient of Days, capital Ancient of Days, which is speaking about the Lord God. And so we see him all of a sudden see the Son of Man come up, and the Son of Man, Jesus, is enthroned in that moment. Do you see that picture? He is enthroned. Now, so often when we think about Jesus, we think about I wash my hair with Pantene Jesus, right? Hair flowing in the wind and sheeps frolicking around, sheep, sheeps, whatever. They're frolicking, though. They're always happy little sheep. And they're just frolicking around him. And there's little kids picking flowers at his feet and putting in his hair. Yeah, that's a picture. But did you hear what Scripture said? This is King Jesus. When he returns, he's going to be riding on the clouds returning in glory, regardless of how you want to interpret chapter 24 and 25. There's one thing that Christians claim with certainty, and that is that Jesus will return. Friends, he will return with all honor and glory, and he will return in the flesh. He is going to return. Uh, a couple of pictures I want you to see. First is going to be 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. What are trumpets used for? Trumpets are used to get your attention. Trumpets are used to say, hey, the king is about to enter in. Everybody should please rise now, right? That's what the trumpets do. So this says there's going to be the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will get caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Or again, the parallels when we fast forward to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7 that says, behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. All the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. How do you hear that text and not look up?
And yet in the first century, to those who heard it for the first time, you know what the tendency was? The tendency was to hear this and then fall back into the old ways. The tendency was to hear this and then fall back into, I'm going to trust the temple for my salvation. I'm going to trust the temple. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to look to the temple. Why? Because look how stable the temple looks. It would be, I'm going to follow the law. You see it all throughout the New Testament. Read the whole rest of the New Testament. I'm going to cling to the law. And if I do what is good, if I do what is right, then maybe I can earn God's favor and he's going to let me into heaven. Can I just tell you that we're no different? You know what we do is we say, well, I'm going to get real busy. And if I build my career strong enough, then I'm worthy enough. If my family is good enough, then I'm worthy enough. If I follow the rules and I'm a good boy or a good girl, like then I'm worthy enough. And yet what this should point us to is to Christ. Church, this should point us only to Christ, his authority, his kingdom that will reign forever. And so the application, the application is where we really should camp out today. The application is that question when you look in the mirror, is who or what is Lord of your life? And I know it sounds very simplistic, but I, I, I think we should camp there this week and spend some time wrestling with that. Is there anyone or anything that's gaining your affinity over the Lord? Because I do, I think that we end up saying, it's going to be my family. I want to build that strong family, that picture-perfect family. I'm going to build my family. I'm going to build my career. If I build my career strong enough, then I'm something. I, I work my way up. I'm going to be good at it. I'm just going to be good. I'm just going to, I'm going to be a good moral person. I'm going to trust on my morality to try to. Anything that you're placing above the Lord in adoration, that's a sin. That's idolatry. You and I are called to this place where it is Christ and Christ alone who is Lord of our lives. The final thing I want us to see is that the gospel is global. The gospel is global. Look at verse 31. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet. There it is again, with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And so the messengers, the angels, they are sent out to the four winds. We would say to the four corners of the earth. Basically, every single person on the planet should have the opportunity to hear the gospel. That's the goal that you and I have been given Church, just think about how you and I receive the gospel. We receive the gospel because once upon a time, someone left their family and they left their church to go tell someone who had not heard. And that person left their family and their church to go tell someone who had not heard. And finally, this woman named Lydia, she sold purple cloth. She was the first Christian recorded in Western Europe. She received the gospel. And then the gospel continued to spread until finally some people got on a boat. And they crossed a boat, crossed an ocean. They didn't cross the boat. They were on the boat to cross the ocean. <laughs> they crossed the ocean. And they came with the gospel telling the good news. You and I continue to be part of that process of knowing him and making him known. So how's your posture toward the nation's? Because I've talked to you. I know what some of you would say. Some of you, and you mean it in the nicest way possible, I know. But some of you would say, well, pastor, my problem is we got people right here who need to hear about Jesus. We do, so invite them to church. Like we do. That's why we're building this building. We know there are more people who need to hear about Jesus. So continue to invite people in to hear the gospel. 
right? You need to take them to lunch and share the gospel. Invite them over for dinner. Share the gospel. Talk to them at work. Talk to them at school. That is, the, that is why we're here. That is what we're supposed to do, to worship him and make him known. That's, that is the mission that we're on. So do that. And yet, at the same time, there's also this, this global call that we have for all the peoples of the earth. And so there's three ways you do that. You can pray, you can give, you can go. Pray, give, or go. This last year, and, and don't, don't go political because that's not where I'm going with this at all, but this last year, our State Department and all the other nations basically said no one's allowed to fly to other countries, right? Everybody's going to make everybody sick. So you can't go to other countries. You can't do that. So it, it ended our short-term mission trips for a season, right? That stopped. And yet the mission of God had to continue. So our funding continued to go to Thailand, to the orphans that are in Thailand or in India. Think about what all this did with the transportation, with food. There were so many brothers and sisters in Christ in India that didn't have access to food, but our funds that come through our tithes and offerings helped to make sure that those individuals had access to food. The mission continued. You can hear the gospel more if you have food to be alive, right? So we need you alive to hear the gospel. And so we were able to be part of that. The mission continued. So we can pray. Church, we can pray for those brothers and sisters who are serving today. We can pray for those who are going through persecution. Now, there is persecution, like the pastor in Canada who was arrested and told that you know, if you'll quit preaching, we'll let you out. And he said, well, leave me in jail, right? There's that persecution. There's also other countries where persecution means death. That's what persecution means. We can pray for those brothers and sisters. There's strength, their encouragement, their steadfastness in the mission. We can give. We can financially give. Maybe this year you're not going to have the chance to go, but you know of someone else who's going to be able to go. You can give to make sure that they can make that happen. Inevitably, here's what happens. They go on this international mission trip. They go to tell people about Jesus. They come back, and they're like, yeah, I feel like I'm the one who has changed. You know what the Lord does? He doesn't really need us, just so you know. We get to be part of what he's doing, and it's always us who end up changed. But you can go. Maybe once a year, once every two years, once every three years, we get the opportunity to go as well. We want to be very intentional with seeing the gospel continue to advance here and there. It's not either or. It is both and. Church, that's our mission. Jesus called us to this great task. Finally, he ends with this in verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as this branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And that brings us to our big idea. Rely on Jesus's unchanging word. Church, that's a, those verses right there, that's a whole nother sermon, an entire sermon literally waiting to happen. But I want to end with this. Some of you, the events in the news, you study the word and, and you start to get a little anxious. And so you start to reach out to people like me. Pastor, do you, do you think the end is near? Do you think it's time? You know, is Gabriel's mouth on the trumpet? Like, is it go time? What, pastor, talk to me. Do you think it? Listen, be very leery 
of any preacher or teacher who tries to tell you, here's the date, here's the month, here's the time. Because Jesus says that all that, people are going to keep talking about that, but no one's going to know. Here's what we know. We know that we get an opportunity and a gift today. A lot of times Christians will pray, Lord, I'm ready for your return. Come on back. The world seems more and more chaotic. And as I've heard that through the years, I just want you to know my response, and my response is brokenness over that thought. I, I want the Lord to return. I just want four more minutes. Just in case there's anyone here who hasn't heard the gospel. And so that's always been my prayer. Lord, just give me one more day. Just give me one more day. And selfishly, selfishly, there's days that I'm like, okay, Lord, I don't need more days. Like, you can just come on back today. I'm good with it. Like, I'm, I'm worn out. Like, I'm good with today. But church, I hope you have that heart. I do. We're eager for his return. But Lord, we give us one more day because your gospel is global. There's so many who still haven't heard. And I'm broken for the person who thinks they're supposed to earn heaven by being good enough. How exhausting would that be? Or maybe they've never even heard, like, God loves you. Like, he seriously loves you. He loves you so much he knows your name and how many hairs are on your head. Like, God loves you. He pursues you. That's why Jesus came. Do you know how many people have never heard that truth? We want the world to hear you can have a right standing with God through your faith in Christ and what he has done, the fact that he lived and died and lived again. You can have a right standing with the Lord. Church, let's never grow tired of pointing the way to King Jesus. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this moment because we don't know how many moments we get. Because we do see scripture, we do see the signs, we, we see scripture coming to life all around us. And so we know, we're all aware that we're not guaranteed tomorrow. You could come at any time. But Lord, I thank you for grace of giving us this moment. The opportunity to know you and to make you known. So Lord, continue to break our heart for what breaks yours. Show us our neighbors the way that you see our neighbors and our family members, our co-workers, those in school with us. Continue, continue to look at us with a smile, Lord. Not with empty religion or hypocrisy, but sons and daughters who love you enough to do what you tell us to do and loving you and loving others. Lord, we praise you and we thank you and we do look forward to the King returning on the clouds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we close our morning together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.